Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, because there's no in-between. Joining me is Greg Johnson of Countercurrents Publishing. He was detained, strip-searched, and deported from Norway. Yes. Why? For his thoughts. Yes, we're going to be talking to an actual living thought criminal, and I would add political prisoner. It's really an outlandish story, but also a warning of where the anti-white globalists really want to take things, so don't miss it. Welcome thought criminal and political prisoner and friend, Greg Johnson. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you so much. This is the first interview I've given after my incarceration in Oslo this past weekend, so I'm, I'm glad it's you. And <laughs> I am not giving any interviews to mainstream media people because every one of them that's contacted me is from a network or a platform that used the slur white supremacist to describe me. Ugh. And if they can't respect my designated nouns, then I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to give them any fresh quotes to decorate uh, their, uh, their boilerplate exactly, uh, and uh, help them support their narrative. So screw them. So Good. you're the first. Awesome. I love it. Okay. So we have our own little... media now. Yes, we do. Of course. I, I hate when people go talk to lamestream. So let's just back up a little bit. You went to beautiful Norway to give a talk at the Skansa Forum on the very idea of white privilege was the title of your talk. But instead you were arrested, I guess we can say, detained and then deported from Norway. So let's start from the beginning and tell us the story. Well, yeah, I came to uh, Oslo. This was my second time in Norway. The first time I was there was in early July of 2017 for the first Skansa Forum conference in Oslo or in Norway entirely. And it was the first event of its kind in Norway. And our friends in Norway wanted another conference. They wanted me to come back. They wanted another Skansa Forum. And so Frodi uh, Midjord, who runs Skansa Forum, organized this event. And it was going to be a theme conference. He tries to have a theme for all of them. With the exception of Frodi, who is the uh, you know MC of the thing, uh, all the speakers had PhDs. Uh, there was me, there was Edward Dutton, who edits Mankind Quarterly. There's Kevin McDonald and there's Helmut Nieborg, both of whom are emeritus professors of psychology. And the theme was human biodiversity. And I was going to talk specifically about the idea of white privilege and the perspective that we take on this idea of white privilege based on the fact that there are biological differences between the races and the sexes that lead to different outcomes in society, even if everything is fair, right? Even if everyone has the same rules, apply to them, you're going to find different outcomes. And when that happens, according to the establishment mentality, the PC mentality, that is a sign that something is wrong with society that has to be changed. People are thinking wrong, institutions are wrong, unfairness is afoot. And even as all kinds of explicit forms of unfairness have been taken down and removed, changed, uh, we still find these different outcomes. And so they, they have more and more occult explanations of different outcomes. And this notion of white privilege is basically, it's like this odorless, colorless gas that pervades these societies and somehow keeps certain minority groups poorer and in trouble with the law more than the average white people. And I just wanted to argue that we have a 
a d distinct perspective on this, that we can explain these differences in terms of immutable biological differences. Uh, but then I also argue, I was going to argue that there is a legitimate sense to white privilege, because if groups are really different, then it stands to reason that groups will construct societies that reflect their natures. And that means that other groups, if they try to enter these societies and make them multicultural, are going to find that they're not good fits and they're going to feel alienated. And they're going to think that the white people in these societies have all kinds of advantages. And they do because the systems that they live in are tailored to be comfortable to them. And that is a legitimate sense of white privilege, but it's ultimately based on biology. And it's nothing that we have anything to apologize for. So that was the, the topic, right? Uh, and I was amazed, I was appalled, I was very amused to find out later that day that people in the Norwegian government, without even knowing the topic or the title of my talk had become convinced that if I were allowed to speak, this would foment right-wing terrorism in Norway. And so I had to be arrested and expelled from the country. And so I arrived at about 10 in the morning at the Skanza event facility, and I was hanging out with friends, met some new people, had a nice time, was chatting away, and not an hour went by. Uh, before I was told by Frody, uh, wait a second here, uh, the police are here, they're coming to arrest you. And I thought, uh-oh. <laughs> um, it wasn't entirely a surprise because two days before on Halloween, the day that I arrived in Norway, we learned that this uh, paper called Filter News or this blog, it's basically a kind of hope not hate Antifa yeah kind of blog in Norway, uh, Filter News, had run a piece on me, which uh, I had to Google Translate uh, out of Norwegian, and it was arguing that I was an Anders Bering Breivik supporter, that I had uh, justified or claimed that his attacks were justified. It's all nonsense. It, yeah, it's, it's all lies. Truly was there any yeah. sources in it? Of course not, because they can't well, they, prove there, any of that. There were sources. They, they quoted things, but they quoted things out of context. Always. For instance, yeah. Yeah. When, when uh, they said that I said that Breivik's crimes were necessary. Well, I was talking about Breivik's rationale for why his crimes were necessary. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, and they were ascribing his views to me. And anybody who read the things that I wrote on Breivik honestly, intelligently, could not have concluded that. It was just a lie. It was just an attempt to smear me. So later that day, another article appeared uh, created by the same uh, Norwegian communist soy men. I forget their names. Uh, <laughs> uh, and... Uh, they had talked to one of their buddies who was a terrorism researcher and got a quote from him saying that, you know, this guy, I think he needs to be barred from entering the country. And when I saw this, uh, Frody said, look, uh, we need to prepare a response to this. And so we went back and forth on signal drafting out a response. And I said, okay, translate this into Norwegian and Tomorrow, Friday, if this has any traction, we will release it to the press. 
we will put it out on countercurrents. We will contact the press if any of the mainstream news outlets in Norway take this story up. I was hoping it would just die out in the weeds on the left-wing fringe of the Norwegian internet, and that would be the end of it. And Friday, it was quiet. There really wasn't much to worry about, so I went about my business, uh, put finishing touches on my talk, uh, went out to dinner with the speakers and some friends. It was a really, really nice time. Got up, went there early, uh, got there at 10, and I was informed I was about to be arrested. So anyway, I go outside, and uh, there are these two cops there. And How outside they, where? Where were you outside out, of? Outside the uh, the entrance to the hall, basically, where we were going to have the conference. I, okay. I went out because I didn't want them to come in. I didn't want them to barge into the facility. So anyway, I said, am I under arrest? And they said, yes. And I said, what am I being arrested for? And they said they couldn't tell me. That sounded very irregular to me. I don't know what Norwegian law is, though, or I didn't know at the time. And it certainly would have been irregular in the United States, but I just went along with them. I figured, well, uh, we'll see if we can clear this up quickly. Did they handcuff because, you? No, no okay. nothing yeah. like that. It was super casual, polite. It, it was it was what you expect in a Nordic social democracy, yeah. you know, uh, kind of laid back about the whole thing. Yeah. So anyway, I'm booked into the jail. The whole process is, is kind of Kafka-esque. And I'm stuck in a um, holding cell, basically. And I just have to wait there. And I wait there for several hours before I am ushered into a room. Uh, a young woman came who is a police person working for the immigration of service. And she asked me a few questions. She asked me how much money I had uh, on me. Uh, she asked me about basically my passport travel, stuff like that. And it, it seemed to me that she was looking for an excuse to deport me, a pretext, like I didn't have enough money for the time I was going to stay in the country or whatever, <laughs> yeah. that kind of stuff. And I, I just answered the questions uh, as best I, you know, honestly, there's no point in lying. And I didn't want to say, well, look, I want to talk to a lawyer at the time because I, I wasn't sure if I'd even been really arrested and what my status was, if I could call for a lawyer. Uh, and she just she just jotted things down on a post-it note. It was very kind of informal. Then I talked to these two plainclothes cops. They, they had what I call the Norwegian face. They looked like they could be cousins. There's like a certain Norwegian look. Well, that's that a good I've thing. Noticed. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a good thing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they, they look kind of uh, like a lot of plainclothes cops in America, you know, kind of slobbish, uh, slovenly in their dress. Uh, you know, to blend in, I guess, uh, with the, the crowd. But anyway, they were obviously very bright guys. And they put this letter down in Norwegian, which was basically what the state was wanting to do. And then they called a woman who was a interpreter, and she read the thing over the phone to me in English. And basically, they told me that I was being um, detained, and I would be deported because uh, under a provision of the Immigration Act, which allowed aliens to be detained and deported uh, for reasons of state or foreign policy reasons. And then they specifically said that they believe that I, if I were allowed to speak, I would foment right-wing violence in 
uh, this country. Yeah, it was Immigration and, Act Section 126. I took this from your article. It says, for the sake of basic national interests or foreign policy considerations, because it was deemed that the ideological message was to, con- you know, conveying it the forum would inspire politically motivated violence. So <laughs> did they even know yeah. what your speech was going to be about, though? They, I mean, they didn't know the, the topic or even the title of my speech, but they somehow divined that it was going to cause violence. And I just, I was so appalled by this. I, I kind of laughed at it. Uh, I tried not to be like a jerk or anything because, well, I wanted to be diplomatic, but inside I was just, I was lolling uh, because first of all, they didn't know what the, the topic was. And if they had even bothered to look at what I had said at other Scanza forums, for instance, the very last Scanza forum speech that I'd given in Stockholm that year on was against right wing terrorism, right? That yeah, was exactly. Yeah, yeah. 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 So <clears throat> I, I'm the kind of guy who gets up there and gives speeches that are designed to decrease the amount of right wing terrorism. And they're saying that if I spoke on white privilege, it would do just the opposite effect. Well, I immediately knew what happened. Somebody in the Norwegian security apparatus had got, been gotten to by these Antifa liars, basically, and had not even checked out the veracity of their claims. If they had simply read the articles by me, and I think they were actually live linked in the, uh, in the piece, if they had just read the articles by me about Breivik, they would have seen that this was uh, simply dishonest, out of context smearing, and uh, they they wouldn't have embarrassed themselves. But either they were just in on it, right? They were just part of the basically the communist Antifa ultra left uh, net network in that country, and they were doing a good deed for their comrades, or they were totally incompetent. Neither option is really a good look for the Norwegian security services. You want the security police in your country, the intelligence apparatus in your country to be intelligent and to make you actually more secure. And you're not secure if you have people who are dishonest or just incompetent making decisions like this. So it was a, it was kind of appalling that this took place. And I you know, I thought, well, this could be interesting. There, we could sue these uh, journalists in qu- scare quotes for libel. I wanted to look into that. I wanted to uh, look into whether or not, if we could prove that this was based on a libel, uh, that the whole thing could be overturned. But the first thing I wanted to do was just get the hell out of Norway. And by this time, it was after five in the afternoon. Yeah, where did they take you? Walk us through that whole experience of them. Well, I mean, they they took me to a um, uh, sort of nondescript part of of the city, uh, an, a very um, diverse immigrant type neighborhood with shawarma type shops and uh, hammer and sickle and antifa graffiti and other kinds of graffiti everywhere. Uh, it was it was actually a kind of a gross place, uh, you know, a place that. Obviously, nobody who lived there felt at home. Uh, There were some hipsters out walking tiny dogs, uh, bearded men, well-dressed, walking tiny dogs past 
<laughs> graffiti saying fuck hipsters in English for some reason. I don't know why English is the international language of graffiti now. But anyway, it was it was kind of a rundown area. And the um, the process, you know, they took my that my phone, they took my eyeglasses, my belt, my scarf, my coat, my shoes, anything that could be used as a weapon, right? And of course, I was happy to surrender anything that could be plausibly used to kill me, uh, thinking uh, the worst case scenario, of course, is Jeffrey Epstein, who didn't <laughs> yeah, kill himself exactly. in jail. Uh, and so I was happy to comply, and I figured I could work this out, right? I knew I had people on the outside who would be concerned and would go to work on my behalf immediately. I figured we could make this work. So, you know, I'm there for hours. I, I guess I was fully checked into the whole thing by noon. And uh, it was uh, several hours uh, before I saw anybody. I think this young woman came and took down a few notes. Uh, and I think it was, it was definitely after five uh, when I saw these two plainclothes cops because I, I remarked, well, you know, the time of my lecture has passed. The event is basically over. So let me go. So <laughs> let me go. I, I want to deport myself. I want to get out of this country tonight. I said, just, you know, bring me my laptop. I'll buy a ticket. Uh, I'll gather my bags and I'll be out of your hair. And they were a little taken aback by that because they're used to people who just want to stay there and freeload off the system as long as possible. <laughs> I just wanted to go home. I had a life. Uh, I actually wanted to go first to Portugal because I was going to go to a conference, at an academic conference. Yeah, can you choose them. when you're being deported? Can you choose which country you want to go to? Or do you have to go back to the country where you're from? You have to, you have to go back where you're from. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and that uh, was not my first choice uh, because I had an Airbnb. I was meeting friends. Uh, I was going to spend several days in Lisbon. Uh, I was going to go to this academic conference there that was at the university uh, where they had people like Eric Kaufman speaking and uh, Angel, uh, Angela Nagel and uh, George Hawley, various scholars of identitarianism and the alt-right and so forth. And this was an academic conference on immigration, multiculturalism and the identitarian backlash, basically. And I, it was open to the public. And I wanted to go. I wanted to meet these people. I wanted to listen to their talks, maybe ask a couple questions, use it as an opportunity for dialogue, right? So anyway, I wanted to go there. Uh, and I wanted to go there immediately. <laughs> I didn't want to stick around any longer because I had no reason to stay. Well, uh, I also made a very good decision. I said, I, the, the letter said that I had the right to an attorney uh, and uh, to have a, an attorney appointed to me. And I said, I want to exercise my right to an attorney. I want to leave as soon as possible before you can deport me. I want to be gone. Uh, but I want to make sure that all my rights are, are not violated and to expedite this process as quickly as possible. So these guys, they said, okay, great. Uh, so they called an attorney and they started trying to gather my stuff. There was some stuff at the place I was staying. Some of my stuff was at Scanza. And of course, I couldn't get on the phone and just call people. I had to tell them where things were. And of course, you know, they would go to places and pick things up, but they wouldn't pick up certain things because they didn't know if they were mine. It just went on and on. There so were like they had to help pack your underwear, literally. Uh, <laughs> you couldn't you know, even go to <laughs> 
God. Oh yeah, exactly. It was, it was, uh, you know, basically it was a lesson in how self deportation is much more efficient than being deported by the state. Yeah. And if they had just given me my phone, you would have been gone been, like that I night would have been out of there, you know? Yeah. Just drive me to the airport. That's all you need to do. So it, took, uh, it sounds like it took them two days, right? To actually do yeah, this. It took them two days. <laughs> so, uh, after about two hours, uh, of waiting again, uh, I uh, was ushered into a room and I sat down and there was a woman who was my lawyer and she appeared to be Iranian, I would have mm. said just by her appearance, maybe Kurdish. I'm sure they uh, love that. They were like, let's see his face when he sees her, right? But she, yeah, but it turns yeah. out she was pro-free speech though, right? Totally. Okay. Uh, she works, for, she she said she worked for Advocate Eldon. Now I thought that could be the name of a company, uh, like a law firm, or maybe, you know, I don't know, Norwegian, maybe it was like free legal aid or something for all I knew. Uh, and uh, so anyway, she was really nice. And I, I just explained to her that I wanted to go as quickly as possible. But I wanted to make sure that my rights were respected. And she said, uh, well, well, we'll, we'll do what we can. I'll be in, uh, I'll get in touch with the firm. And, and I realized that she was like the assistant to another lawyer. Okay, so I um, and but she also said at this point that they had already basically filed like a free speech complaint. She said, we want you to know that we don't think you've done anything wrong and that this is wrong for them to uh, detain you uh, and prevent you from speaking because of what somebody might do if you're allowed to speak somebody what somebody else might do. And it is an absurd uh, situation that you can be arrested for what other people might do. This doesn't happen to anyone else, though, except for nationalists. I mean, look at politicians. Are, are, are they being held for what people might do because of the language they might incite? You know? No, no. It, it generally only works. Uh, <laughs> these, these strange standards are, are trotted out only for people like me. Yes. And it's kind of alarming. It, it was kind of alarming. Uh, I mean, every state has the ability to do this kind of stuff. But when it's actually trotted out and p people try and justify it to the public, the public feels uncomfortable. And it turned out, and I only learned this Monday after I've been uh, basically I was on the verge of being deported and they gave my phone back that the whole country was talking about this case. It was the number one news thing in the country. And even people on the left thought it was outrageous that somebody had been arrested for possibly giving a talk that some people possibly might then do something based on. Well, here uh, I saw they were happy about it. They were all of a sudden lefties here in America. They, they love those hardcore borders and deportation of people in Europe. You know, they love it in your case, of course. Yeah, they, they, I know exactly what it's so weird. These globalists, you know, I mean, they're unprincipled people or well, they, they have one principle, which is to destroy us. Right. Yeah. And that sort of you know, governs everything. So they're all for open borders when it means Muslims and third worlders coming in. And they're all for sovereignty and deportation and Schengen bans and all that crap when it keeps us from keeping white around. people out of Europe. Yeah. Keeping Amazing. white people out of Europe, keeping people from meeting face to face. Right. Uh, so yeah, they, uh, they're willing to use national sovereignty and deportation law and stuff like that to further the globalist cause, which will eventually abolish all of these things. So yeah, anyway, uh, I, I was 
at the time I was so focused on getting out of there, I didn't really ask her any questions about the free speech angle to what they were thinking. I figured I'll just deal with that later, if, if at all. And uh, I just wanted to get out of uh, Norway and on to my next destination. So um, anyway, I, uh, I, I basically, uh, later that night, I, I met another cop who was a um, plainclothes cop. He was clearly dressed to blend in with an Antifa-type crowd. Very t- dignified man, uh, gray hair and beard and everything. And he told me that uh, 28 people had been arrested, uh, that protesters had uh, been at the forum, that they had been told to disperse, that they had uh, been arrested. He was trying to locate some of my luggage that was at the forum site. Uh, and again, you know, this they, they, they took very seriously my desire to just self-deport and they tried to get my stuff for me. And I, I appreciated that. I, I thought I honestly thought they were being sincere and doing their level best. They they thought this is the easiest case that's come along in a long time. He just wants to go, right? Uh, and, and I'm sure they're constantly dealing with people who are constantly delaying the whole process. So uh, anyway, I, I went to try to sleep. Uh, it's impossible to sleep in these jails. Uh, somebody opens a little uh hatch in your door and peers so in you're in a cell power. you're actually in a uh, cell i'm in a cell i'm in a cell with no pillow uh with a hard plastic mattress and a blanket which i kind of wadded up into a pillow form uh and i was so uncomfortable that it was really impossible to sleep i was just physically ached from there was no place to really sit comfortably so the only thing to do is just to lie down what about, what about a nap. toilet? Did they have one of those toilets like in America they just have right in the cell? Or did you get to oh, ask yeah. to go to the bathroom? Oh, yeah, they had, they had toilets, but there was no toilet paper. Oh, yeah. Uh, believe me, my whole system had shut down by that point, so I wasn't even worried about it. <laughs> um, it, was very, it was very strange, okay? They put me in the cell, and so I lie down, and I start thinking. And I just started going through, I guess everybody does this, right? I, I, I lie down, I start thinking, and I start thinking about all the possible outcomes. And I came up with a list of possible outcomes, ranging from everything's okay and they let me, allow me to leave to Jeffrey Epstein. And then I isolated the ones that were most likely, and then I went through each likely outcome, tried to rank them in terms of likelihood, tried to think of all the possible ins and outs of each of these things, tried to think of all the different outcomes that could happen, and then tried to figure out how I could turn everyone to my advantage and basically (laughs) bounce back. And so I just, I was just sort of sitting there calculating all this stuff and exploring all these things, thinking in terms of how would I answer questions that they were posed to me. Mm -hmm. And hours went by doing this. And after a couple of hours of just being there with my eyes closed, this, this thought came through my head and it was, where are my feelings? Because I just, I wasn't feeling afraid. I wasn't feeling angry. I was just cold, right? Mm-hmm. I just felt cold and calm and calculating and started f- trying to figure it all out. Uh, I, I, and I, and I basically spent a huge amount of time just meditating on different possibilities. Uh, I couldn't write anything down. You couldn't have pens uh, or paper. I couldn't have a book. 
it's the kind of situation that even prisoners have that. I know. <laughs> even in jail, yeah. you get all that. Yeah, it's the kind of thing that you know could drive a, a pe- person like me mad. But I just sort of, you know, try to uh, create a mental filing system so now I, I just can remember ask, all these things. Were and, there and other people around? Could you see other other uh, prisoners? I no, okay. no, I could hear them, and it was kind of freaky because these uh, these things are all you know tile and concrete and yeah. really echoey, and uh, these people would be whistling, they would be shouting, they'd be making noise. Uh, some of them sounded quite nuts. I mean, you could hear every time a toilet flushed, it would like rumble through the whole thing, and I just. Thought, you know, I know why people go mad in, in these sorts of environments. Mm. They, 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 you know, there's just so much damn noise and you can't rest. Uh, you can't sleep at night because people are peeking in to make sure you haven't offed yourself because the last guy peeked in an hour before and you haven't gotten any sleep and you're going psychotic, right? Mm. Uh, so uh, I, I could just see how this kind of thing would drive people nuts. And, uh, you know, I tried to sleep when I could. I, I don't think I slept maybe three hours, you know, in the first 24 hours or more that I was there. And then the food, and, as you told me, was just processed cheese and some bread, which is funny because I was saying earlier, too, I didn't even know that Norway had processed cheese. <laughs> but yeah, but yeah, you got it. Norwegian Jarlsberg, I guess it's Norwegian processed cheese. Yeah, so that morning I'd gotten up, I'd had some coffee, I, I got a a Norwegian scone, which are distinct from other scones because they cost at least $5. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and that's the only difference. They're just ridiculously expensive. Yeah. So I'd gotten a cup, a little bag of Norwegian scones for 10 bucks, and I had nibbled my way through about a third of one scone before I was arrested. And so I hadn't had any food yet, you know. Uh, and I got there, and after several hours, I said, uh, I'm hungry. Yeah. And so they, they handed me three slices of bread and three packages of processed cheese. And I thought, well, I guess this is a snack or something, but no, that, that's all they gave me. Wow. Uh, and wow. Uh, I asked for more and they brought me the same thing plus little cartons of milk. And uh, they seem to have an unwritten rule that no matter how simple your request is, they would count to 1 million very slowly before they would grant the request. And so it just took forever for the simplest things to happen. They right? do it on purpose. Yeah. Trying yeah, to break you down in a way. I think so. But the thing was, is that they were all so nice and polite at the same time. Uh, I just, uh, it was it was odd. It was hard to. Well, I mean, uh, they must have known you're the only person who was being held. I think you said in, in your other article, too, they moved you to another facility and it looked like it was mostly Muslims there. So you're one of the people that probably, well, we know you didn't actually commit a crime. Some of the other people I, there probably actually have, there was real victims involved, you know? Yeah, I didn't do nothing. And uh, <laughs> I, I was uh, I was there as a political prisoner, basically a thought criminal. So anyway, yeah. The, the next day, I get up. Uh, the the lights are, are brightened. Of course, they don't turn out the lights either, so it's hard to sleep that way. Um, the next day, I uh, was informed a young woman who worked for the Norwegian immigration police came to my cell. And she had a new letter, and she had the letter interpreted to me in the same way into English. And it was apparent that 
the lawyer had been at work because her name was mentioned in it. And basically, it seemed like they were responding to a lot of the free speech and other related arguments that had been given to them uh, in there, which I thought was interesting. They were trying to actually justify their position. Uh, but they didn't justify the underlying assumption, which is that uh, I was actually a Breivik apologist and that what I was going to say was going to uh, produce more Breiviks. That, of course, that was not questioned. Uh, that The lawyer didn't know to question it, really. And I, I didn't really focus on that when I talked to her. Uh, so I was told that I would be deported, that uh, it, it seemed to be open about the destination. I was hoping that they would let me go to uh, Portugal rather than send me home. Uh, and uh, But I, it seemed like things were budging, right? It seemed like there, were, there was some back and forth, there was some discussion going on, and their position was loosening up a bit. And I thought that was interesting. So, um, you know, later that day, I was transferred to this other facility, uh, and it was a camp near the airport uh, for deportation. And so I'm booked into another facility, another, uh, you know, arm of the, the state. I had to go through the whole process of being fingerprinted again. I had the indignity of a strip search. Oh, you uh, did? Wait, 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 back up. <laughs> yes, yes. So, so I, I know it's a little per up close and personal, but tell us about that. Seriously, strip well, search? Well, it was, yeah, it was humiliating for them. Uh, but anyway, uh, no, it was, it was, it, I was, I was really steamed about the whole thing, but I just got it, just got it over with. Uh, and, uh, and, and then I got my first hot meal or it had been hot about an hour before. Uh, and, <laughs> um, I was placed in this area where, you know, you had your little cells and they locked you in at night, but you had your own private bath, bath chamber and a shower and everything. Uh, it was much more comfortable. Uh, and uh, there was also like a common area where you could get coffee, juice, stuff like that. I was kind of getting dehydrated. So I got a couple of giant things of apple juice and drank them. Then I could just get it, take anything I wanted. I ate the food. Uh, it was sort of a strange combination. I think somebody put together a jambalaya and a chow mein recipe in the same pot. Mm. It was a strange experience. And... Uh, and uh, I waited around. I tried to make phone calls. I was told I could, but they said their, the system was down. And eventually around seven at night, I was taken into a room and used a phone that the staff used to call my lawyer. And I spoke to her and she told me that at this point that the authorities had decided that I was free to go. Uh, I could go to the airport and book any flight out to anywhere in the world. Or I could stay for the period of my uh, appeal because I told them I wanted to appeal. How long would that right? be? Well, there's a three-week period for appealing. Uh, and that was in the, the second letter that I, I had this right to an appeal. And, that I, and so, yeah, so I could leave if I wanted to that evening. Uh, I could get on the deportation flight the next morning or I could stay. It's like, wow, this is very strange. But at the same time, I was locked up in this facility. <laughs> and, uh, and so I, I said, great, I, I want to go. Can you uh, get on the phone to the people who run this facility, explain to them the change in plans, have them give me my 
access to a computer. I'll see if I can book a flight. It was already getting kind of late, but it was too late, basically. So I just had to go to bed uh, another sleepless night um, and uh, get up. And I was I took the deportation flight because that was the most practical option at that point. And uh, it was it was kind of a pleasant experience. You know, when when Freud was expelled by the Nazis uh, from Austria, he was asked to sign a document stating that he had not been mistreated. And he he wrote as if he were like reviewing a hotel or something. He said, I can heartily recommend the Gestapo to anyone. <laughs> and I, I always loved that. And uh, I, I can heartily recommend being deported from Norway to anyone. It's the best air travel experience ever. Yeah, tell had. us about that. No, they, they drive you to the airport. You have escorts. What about your bags? Are people staring? I mean, what's the whole experience like? It was, it was, it was, it was a very interesting experience. So, uh, these two cops come, they're very nice guys. Uh, they, they shook my hand. Every, it was, everything was very friendly and cordial. They took me to the, they got my bags and everything took me to the airport. And, uh, they, uh, for, they said, okay, we're going through security. There was no line. It was just a tiny little private security area for like staff people to go through. So it took minutes. Then they took me to a lounge, uh, where I was the only person, there was a really good coffee machine there. So I had my first really good coffee in a couple days and, uh, they had like free food. It was like, you know, ramen noodle things and stuff like that. I, I did. I just skipped that. And, uh, I, um, I was hoping I could be like in the regular airport terminal and like buy some really buy some $10 scones or something at the airport, something like that. But anyway, that, that wasn't an option, but they gave me my phone back. And I turned the phone on and I watched as the various apps and email programs started, the numbers started piling up and I was getting hundreds of messages. I had been incommunicado almost 48 hours at that point, except for one brief call to Frody about my bags, which they cut off basically when we started trying to talk about what had actually happened at the Scanza event. So anyway, um, this was my first real in, uh, you know, contact with the world. I had all these friends who were frantically worried, et cetera. And then I called Frody and he, and he said, it's amazing. We're the number one news for two days in a row. And when you requested a lawyer, uh, John Christian Eldon, who's the best known lawyer in the country, he's a celebrity lawyer, basically. Uh, stepped forward and is representing me. That was the advocate Eldon that this woman worked for. And this guy's a celebrity lawyer. He takes all the high profile cases. He was Varg Vikernis's lawyer, uh -huh. apparently, yeah. at one time. <laughs> and so anyway, um, I was just sort of amazed. Uh, and I thought, this is an amazing stroke of luck. Folks, if you're ever in trouble with the law, ask for a lawyer. You could luck out and get the number one lawyer in the country if you're in a small enough country. And the guy, I think, was probably circling, uh, you know, salivating for the chance because he likes free speech type cases and mm -hmm. high profile cases. And this was obviously going to be a big thing. So I, I'm waiting in the lounge, talking to Frody, looking at all the coverage and just sort of overwhelmed all the news stories and everything. I'm there for about 45 minutes sipping coffee uh, and realizing what an amazing 
weekend the rest of the world has had while I've been incommunicado. Uh, they said, okay, it's time to go. So they drove me to the airplane. They drove me across the tarmac to the base of the tower where, you know, the, the, the gangway tower, basically, where people come out of the, um, the terminal and get on the plane. And we go up a little staircase and we're in the entry gangway. And there's like a, a, a yellow ribbon across the opening of the plane saying, you know, don't enter. So the plane was not open for people yet. Uh, and I was going to be the first person on the plane. And at this point, I, I was sending my first tweet, basically, and my first Facebook message. I'm free. Uh, this happened, this happened, this happened. And Jeffrey Epstein still did not kill himself. <laughs> and I, I sent the thing and I was kind of smiling and the, and the two cops sort of were like wondering why I was laughing. And I said, apparently I'm some kind of celebrity. And they, and they, and they said, oh, and of course they knew, you know, because they had been following the news the whole weekend. Everybody knew, but I didn't know that they know, knew mm. because they were all being very professional. Right. Mm. And I appreciated that. But anyway, uh, some Norwegian, I, th I think he was the pilot or the co-pilot, came down the, uh, the thing to the plane and I shook his hand and he smiled. Obviously, he knew I, who I was. And I thought, gee, this is, this is kind of great. This is total VIP treatment. It's like <laughs> the best air travel thing I'd ever had. So uh, this uh, stewardess opened the plane up. I went, had the, I was the first person on the plane, got to sit down, get comfortable, put on my dark glasses, tried <laughs> to hide in the corner and uh, tried to prop my eyelids open basically with toothpicks and, and start writing because I could write now. You know, I finally had a pen and paper. And so I started writing out notes and uh, an account of everything that happened. So anyway, uh, and, and I was, uh, I was deported, right? But the, the hilarious thing was is that I wasn't technically deported. Yeah. I could have left any time or I could have stayed, but I chose to get on the flight that they had paid for uh, and be deported uh, because, well, it was just the most practical option. And honestly, at that point, I was so exhausted that the idea of spending several days in Lisbon at a conference uh, just and sleeping in a strange bed and all that stuff was just too much anyway. I just couldn't couldn't take it. And I had a plane flight ahead of me as just a long, <laughs> many hours to go before I could finally sleep. So anyway, I decided it was just best to go home. And also, uh, now that I had this lawyer to contact a lawyer and to work on the defense and also write up accounts of what was going on, I had all these requests for interviews. It was very easy to eliminate most of them because a lot of them were from... NBC or CNN, places like that, that had all run stories about me. I was just yeah. looking at some of them, the, the New York Times. Are, I mean, they're just straight up saying that you're a white supremacist that supported Anders Breivik. They're all just publishing this in America right now. Yeah. There's, there's a, yeah, exactly. And I basically refuse to talk to anybody who's the white supremacist slur. Uh, there's got to be consequences for that kind of dishonest and lazy journalism. And we have our own media. And I, I, I don't need these people. They yeah. need us more than we need them at this point. Look at, and the, I'm C not going Look at the CNN piece here, just real quick. I just want to read this. Uh, Norrie's intelligence service considered Johnson to be a threat, not because of what he could do, but because of his hate speech and his, and he, his previously expressed support for Anders Breivik. Right. Mar Martin Munson told CNN. I mean, that's just a yeah. flat-out lie. Yeah. 
Well, yeah, exactly. Uh, there's this horrible movie called The Human Centipede. I won't elaborate on it. You can Google it. And that's really the my image of the mainstream media. It's a human centipede. They're all basically mouth to ass, uh, j just passing on the same nonsense uh, without any any fact checking without any integrity, without any curiosity, nothing. These people are in, in, in the business of slander and smearing and maintaining the establishment narrative. That's all they're there for. And when you see it at work, uh, it's really revealing. If you, before I actually saw anything that I had said or done through the funhouse mirror of the media, I, I sort of had this attitude that, well, you know, th these people who get attacked, they, they must have done something wrong, right? They must have done something wrong where there's smoke, there's fire, et cetera, et cetera. And then to see how systematically even simple things that don't have any, uh, you know, th th there's no advantage to distorting them, but they distort them anyway. Uh, how, how systematic it is, how lazy it is, uh, how... Uh, uh, just uh, ir reckless mm. these people are in their lying and uh, spinning and uh, just slovenliness with facts. Their slapdash reporting. It's yeah. really, really sobering. Uh, years ago when I was in graduate school, one of my professors said that grading undergraduate papers, and I'm sure probably some of the graduate papers too, was sort of like having fever dreams. You know, you would uh, you would have the, the day's activities, namely all your lectures, would come back to you in distorted form. And just like mm -hmm. sort of the day's events would come back to you in distorted form when you were having fever dreams. And that's that's really the experience mm -hmm. uh, that you have when you see yourself uh, discussed by these uh, media oh, people. I know. Yep. Yeah. The funhouse mirror of the clown <laughs> world media. Now, I have to ask, why, why you? Why are you such a threat? Obviously, I would think it's because of Countercurrents Publishing. You're putting out some great uh, books. But why Why you? Why do you think they target well, well, that's a good question. Why didn't they target Kevin McDonald? He's an even more, he's a far more important person than I am uh, as an intellectual, right? Uh, I don't know why they targeted me, not him. They even found... Uh, Kevin making comments about Breivik and they said, oh, he's another Breivik supporter, but they didn't try and arrest and expel him. I don't know why they fixated on me. Uh, I, I, I guess I, I want to be, well, let's be self-serving and self-congratulatory here for a minute. Maybe they're afraid. Maybe they think I'm doing good work and maybe they think that uh, I should be taken down a peg. Certainly the amount of repression and deplatforming that we are facing has been ratcheted up enormously. It's been a big year. year for you, too. If people don't know uh, from your YouTube channel being taken out, and you hardly use that, but payment processors, uh, different selling channels, now we're seeing defamation, now these, uh, you know, terrorism. People are talking about how you're a terrorist. This terrorist was arrested in Norway. Now, do you think that that's going to impact anything in America? That, oh my gosh, Norway arrested him. Maybe, you know, now America needs to be paying attention to who this person is. Well, yeah, this has been enormously good in terms of uh, traffic. It's, it's, it's lying publicity. It's de defamation, global defamation. Yet, at the same point, uh, at the same time, 
uh, it's dramatically increased our traffic. And I knew that would happen. And I was sitting there in that office listening to these cops or, or listening to this woman translate this letter. And I found myself uh, gleefully rubbing my hands together, which is probably a hate crime in Norway. Uh, but you weren't doing it the, like this. You weren't rubbing yeah, it like yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I kind of was actually, but, uh, but under the t- behind the desk. Uh, but anyway, I was just thinking, my God, this is going to be such great publicity. I mean, it's bad publicity, but at the same time, it's good because it brings people to the website. You know, I can't buy publicity like this. They wouldn't sell it to me if I tried to buy it. Uh, and the idea that they could make fewer people by by preventing 90 people from listening to my lecture they were allowing tens and tens of thousands of people millions of people to hear about me it was such a dumb move on their part you know if 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 they wanted uh my ideas to remain marginal and obscure they should have just ignored me and let me go about my business and that would have been that mm. but this has provo- promoted a you know provoked a huge amount of attention so I was the number one story for two days running in Norway uh, on on the weekend. Uh, our traffic was up about, uh, I would say about 30 or 40 percent over what it normally would be on the weekend. Okay, that's good. Uh, Norway, which in the last month was our number 16 country in terms of traffic. And Norway's what, 4 million people? So it's in our top 20, which means that a significant percentage of Norwegians are reading the site. I mean, more Norwegians in a country of 4 million are reading our site than Brazilians in a country of God knows how many tens of millions, right? Uh, so yeah, that's, that, that's interesting. But this month, they're now number four. So they jump from 16th to fourth in terms of countries reading our site. Uh, they're ahead of Germany and France and Australia and Canada much bigger countries, right? Uh, so this has been really, really bad for the Norwegian establishment, really, really bad for these uh, Antifa sneaks and liars and, and smear merchants who thought they were going to suppress me. So you know, I, I have to kind of say that this has uh, been providential in a way. And, uh, you know, I was sitting there and, oh, here's another thing that was kind of bad about being in prison. Um, when you're sleep deprived, I get terrible headaches, right? So, uh, and my whole body ached because of, you know, the hard mattress and all that stuff, right? So anyway, I, I just I just knew that I would never get any sleep that first night unless I got like an ibuprofen. Uh, and so I asked, hey, in my, this little locker right next door, there's like my bag and there's some ibuprofen. Can I have my ibuprofen? No. They said, no. no. Nay. No, yeah, yeah, no, you will have to see a doctor and the doctor will prescribe <sighs> you ibuprofen. And it's like, okay, uh, I'll go lie down again and count slowly to one million uh, while you see the doctor. Well, it turns out I didn't see the doctor till the next morning. Uh, and, uh, and then, uh, you know, two hours after seeing the doctor, this guy shows up with a box of ibuprofen. They, they allowed me to take one and then put the entire box in, in the closet, and I'm holding it right now. So I got a free box of ibuprofen out of this, courtesy of the Norwegian taxpayer. Uh, they spent a huge amount of money on facilities and people to uh, mind me and, and, and watch me to deport me 
more slowly than I would have deported myself. <laughs> it's just sort of a, a, an absurd Kafkaesque story. But yeah, I, I was so miserable. So the first day, you know, uh, you know, splitting headaches and everything. I finally got ibuprofen in the morning. That staved it off until Sunday evening. You know, I go to bed. I, I'm, I'm not sleeping. I'm having these splitting headaches. At this point, you know, I can't even think, right? And I just kept sitting there or lying there thinking, it's for Europa. It's for Europa, <laughs> right? I, I have a purpose and a mission in my life, uh, and this will soon be over, and I will have pen and paper and internet and my friends and supporters and Lana and Henrik and Red Ice and our whole media, and I am going to milk this for all it is worth <laughs> and turn this to my advantage. And then I learned that I had the best lawyer in Norway on my side, too. Now, are you so still gonna really going to fight something on your end? You're going to continue to oh, fight? Oh, yeah, totally. I've talked to the lawyer. I talked to him yesterday. Uh, he totally wants to fight this. So uh, I want to go after the Antifa. I want to, I want to go after them civilly for slander. Uh, we want to get to the bottom of how these lies were propagated into the Norwegian security service and turned into a warrant for my detention and expulsion. Uh, it, it's very clear that all of almost everybody I talked to, maybe everybody I talked to in the security service, the police, the guards, et cetera, et cetera, all very professional, all honorable people, all doing their job. And they started, I think some of them started realizing that they had been played, that they had been used, that they had been sent on a fool's errand, that I was not the problem, right? Uh, and I, I think a lot of Norwegians feel this way. They feel embarrassed by this. They feel angered by this. They feel used. And we're going to get to the bottom of this and we're gonna do our best uh, to expose these people and punish these people if it is possible. Again, there are really only two plausible explanations for why this, these initial lying articles were created. Uh, again, dishonesty or extreme stupidity. Uh, those are really the only two possibilities. Uh, and when people in your government are acting either dishonestly or simply stupid, stupidly, people in your intelligence services are acting in an unintelligent way based on unchecked smear dossiers put together by left-wing NGOs, uh, ADL, anyone, SPLC, anyone. It happens everywhere, right? Every country has one of these things cooking up smear dossiers and a direct pipeline. They have speed dial access to the police and intelligence services and they feed, they, they stovepipe this fake intelligence and they get people arrested and persecuted. This is the same process and really the same people who stovepiped all the fake intelligence that got America into the Iraq war. Mm -hmm. And we've never really gotten out of that. You know, nope. 16 years later, we're still enmeshed in all of that because these people lied. You know, communists lie, leftists lie, and people die. Yep. Uh, and it, it's happened tens and tens of millions of times. And we really need to wherever we can fight this. And if we can, if we can get to the bottom of this in a small country like Norway, 
uh, where we know most of the names, right? Uh, there are not too many degrees of separation between any two people in Norway. Uh, if we can get to the bottom of this and unearth this and maybe pillory these people in one small country, it might be very helpful for basically white identitarians in every white country mm. in the future. So I really want to stick with this. I, I think this is going to be a great hobby. Uh, you know, I, I everyone needs a hobby. My hobby is going to be hunting down and persecuting and justly punishing within the law and all that. Uh, the, the people who did this uh, to the best of my ability, that's going to be my hobby for a very long time. And my work will continue, which is publishing books and articles, uh, keeping countercurrents afloat and so forth. Now, I didn't get to catch up with you on this, but also the Copenhagen Skansa Forum. Weren't you blocked from going in there? What happened again? Because I know we, yeah. Henrik did an interview with Frody, but uh, there were literal, you know, communist flags being waved outside of the building and they were blocking you guys from coming in. What happened there? Well, yeah, in, in very brief, I went to the event facility in Copenhagen. This was three weeks to the day before the event in Oslo. And I got there about 30 minutes before the event was supposed to start. And there was a huge mob of black clad Antifa, basically, I'd say 60 to 80 people, uh, besieging the building and they were actually carrying the flag of the Soviet Union, uh, the flag that flew over the gulag. Uh, these people are communists. Uh, let's let's not do this dumb own the libs thing and say they're the real fascists. No, they're 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 communists. They're actually communists. One of these people was this must have been six foot four inch tall freak with the hammer and sickle tattooed on his forehead, <laughs> a nose ring and a Kalashnikov tattooed on his cheek. Uh, you know, these people are advertising what they are, and a lot of us still won't accept the message, right, that this is what these people are. Anyway, the, the place was besieged by communists. The police basically came and sort of created a perimeter around them, but they didn't clear them away to allow conference attendees to safely enter the building. And this was just dereliction, really, on the part of the police. And so I couldn't get in a number of people, about a third of the attendees couldn't get in the facility. So it was, uh, it was a bit of a disaster for me. I really wanted to give my talk. A number of the talks did happen. The videos of them are up on the Scanza channel. But uh, yeah, it was a it was a very frustrating experience. We lingered around there basically for hours. Uh, I, I bumped into a couple people that I knew. It actually worked out well because there were a couple people that I specifically was going to make plans to meet at the event. And I bumped into them outside the event. And since we couldn't get in, we just sort of spent the whole day talking, basically. <laughs> I also met Laura Towler and we hung out with her. Uh, we hung out with a couple other people who sort of came and went at different times, but there was like a little group of four of us that basically went through the whole experience together. And I finally just decided that I was gonna just call it a wash around <laughs> 4.30 in the afternoon when we were told to go wait at this, I think it was an Aldi store and somebody would come out and escort us in, like police were supposed to come and escort us. And we were waiting and waiting. And finally we noticed these black clad people were like, 
watching us and taking photos across the street. And then these motorcycle cops came by and they, they acted really, really kind of uh, hinky. And we just, I just said, we're out of here. So we, we moved very quickly away from them. We found a bar. The, we asked a waiter in there to call us a cab and we uh, got away from the scene. But yeah, so yeah, it was a, uh, it was, it was not good. And I really wanted to avoid that. So I got to the Scanza thing well early, thinking that if there was a siege, at least I'd be inside, <laughs> not anticipating that I would be taken away by the cops uh, before the event could begin. And I want to do a report at Countercurrents about what happened at the forum, but I need Frody and other people who were there to put that together. Uh, to, because there's a really good story there. Uh, the, uh, the Antifa came, they protested, they cut the power at one point, uh, but the event went on. The police did their jobs. They cleared them away. Three people didn't show up, only three, and they might not have been kept away by Antifa. Who knows, one of them might have been an Antifa mole, uh, for all we know. Uh, but uh, practically everyone got in, unlike in Copenhagen. Uh, the food and drink and everything got in, and they just had a really great time. They did the speeches. Uh, they videoed the speeches. They also videoed uh, the may mayhem outside. 28 of these people were arrested. They have been hit with huge fines by the government. Yeah, so this is, this is very, very encouraging. Uh, after the events in Copenhagen, mainstream papers basically uh, were decrying Antifa violence. Uh, these countries are, you know, they're surprisingly sensible. Sweden is the nuttiest country in Scandinavia. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, the Danes are probably the most sober-minded and Norway decided in recent years sort of quietly in a typical passive-aggressive Nordic way, not really announcing what they were doing, to just sort of quietly back away from the abyss. And they seem to be inching towards the Danish uh, attitudes uh, rather than the Swedish attitudes. So that's that's a good thing. Uh, and the public in these countries is very pro-free speech, which is good. Uh, in Denmark, in the last elections, Meta Fredriksson, I believe it's her name, who runs the Social Democrats, basically ran on an anti-immigration, anti-globalization platform. Now, instead of debating whether or not immigration is a good thing, the real debate in Denmark is how to deport these people, how to re-migrate them back to their homelands. That's enormous progress, meta-politically speaking, when the debate is reframed. Repatriation, yes. Yeah. Well, when it's re and, and there was a poll that Frody cited to me that amazed me uh, when asked the question, are you what, what are your feelings about Denmark's reputation as an Islamophobic country? I think about 15 percent of Danes said they were ashamed of that. And more than 70 percent said they were perfectly comfortable with that. And the rest <laughs> didn't know. But that's amazing. Yeah, that's amazing that's that more than seven out of 10 Danes are comfortable with the idea that people think they're is Islamophobic and unwelcoming to Muslims. They're comfortable with that. And when Meta Fredriksson said, being opposed to immigration doesn't make you a bad person, 
That is a huge metaphys- uh, metaphysical, metapolitical gain for us. That, yeah. uh, when, I can just when get over that barrier. Yeah, yeah when they get over that in, uh, inhibition, everything is possible, right? And you have the leader of the Social Democratic Party saying that. And the leader of the Social Democrats was saying globalization and immigration are bad for Danish workers, and they're the constituency we need to take care of. That's kind of amazing. They're going backwards. You know, I was rehearsing all kinds of answers to hostile questions from the press, you know, while I was locked up. I mean, you know, use, use your time wisely. Uh, and I was, I was thinking, what if they throw the, the Nazi question at me? Do you believe in national socialism or something like that? My answer would have been this. The closest thing to the ideal society, in my opinion, is Scandinavian social democracy without multiculturalism and third world immigration. Mm. And that's true. I think that would be about the best society in the world. Uh, and that's that's the society that these people had before the decision was made in Sweden in the early 70s yeah, to pursue 70s was good. 70s Sweden was a completely different place, much lower taxes yeah. and they had everything taken care of. And it was nationalist and it was socialist. <laughs> so, yeah. 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 You know, uh, but but yeah, uh, you know, do you believe in national socialism? Absolutely no, not. I believe in Nordic social democracy without multiculturalism. Uh, <laughs> but the point is, is that if you put it that way, most people in Nordic countries would say, yeah, why not? Why not Nordic social democracy without all these problems that they've been importing? And the facility that they had near Gardermoen Airport for deporting people was this big complex. And all the other people there for deportation were apparently Muslim. They were from the Muslim world. And you know, for everyone they're deporting, they probably have 10 or 12 that are staying. Yeah. And, and right? in order to deport, they probably did something really bad because you know how hard it is to deport these people from our countries. So. Right, right, exactly. And, and of course, the process is slow. Uh, it is expensive. Uh, and, uh, you know, they these Norwegian guys who were working at this facility, the actual Norwegian guys, they had some immigrants there, you know, this is the way that the government always works, right? They try and get immigrants to police the immigrants, thinking that this will somehow make them trust the system more, uh, whereas it just creates mafias uh, that uh, undermine the system. But anyway, they 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 have to be thinking, the, Nor- the actual Norwegians there have to be thinking, why have we imported all this trouble? They used to have one of the most homogeneous, happy societies in Europe. And it's still consistently rated uh, very highly in terms of livability, like Denmark and Sweden and so forth. But they have imported all these problems that they didn't have before. And why not just go back to the Nordic social democratic uh, utopias that they used to have? It's a good question. And I think more and more people are receptive to that. And now more and more people in Norway are listening. And one of the things that is so great about the Scandinavian countries is that they are de facto Anglosphere countries, honorary Anglosphere countries, uh, because the level of English fluency in these countries is remarkable. Yeah, it is. Uh, This is why, you know, from the very beginning of countercurrents, 
our, the top countries for readership would be always the United States. It would be the United States, Great Britain, Canada, Australia, Sweden. Germany, France, and then Sweden. Yeah. You know, Sweden would be in the top eight almost always. Yeah. And Sweden has what? Nine million mm -hmm. Europeans in it, mm -hmm. eight million Swedes, uh, and uh, and yet there are more. We had more Swedish readers than there were readers in countries many times the size of Sweden because of the English proficiency. Yeah. And you know, Denmark and Norway would always appear in our top twenty, or almost always. Uh, the Netherlands is the same way. Uh, so yeah, uh, we we have a lot of readers there, and now we have a lot more readers in Norway thanks to this <laughs> yeah. this fiasco. So I'm gonna exploit it for all it's worth. You should ride that wave while you can, you know. Yeah, people. Now, I, I have people to ask you. Yep, go on. Yeah, people are listening, and we have a good message—a message they need to hear. Now I have to ask you: How far are you willing to go if they really clamp down? They're coming for you. I mean, how how deep are you going to go into this? Oh well, I <laughs> there's there's no exiting this for me. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's no backing out. We just have to go deeper, deeper into it until we come out the other side. Until we have a victory. <laughs> One of my friends uh, started asking me all these funny questions. Uh, so when when you were in, when you were in jail, did you like play the harmonica and like bang your tin cup against the bars for attention? What cup? Uh, and, yeah, yeah. What cup? I didn't have any tin cup. Uh, no. And uh, another one asked me a question. He said, "So, Greg, what are the chances of recidivism?" And I have to say, in Norway's case, zero. I'm not going to do this thing in Norway again because, well, I've had my Norwegian jail experience. I'll add that chapter to my. You're not going to go back ever, in Norway. I'm down? not going to go back okay. uh, unless unless I'm invited by some future government uh, to come back. Um, yeah, I'm not going to go back. I'm, I'd love to see the Edvard Munch Museum. I'd like to see all these other things again, uh, but I'm not going to go back. So. Recidivism in Norway, chances are zero. But in in a broader sense, namely keeping at my at my work, right? Uh, keeping putting the message out. The recidivism is 100%. I've been recidivizing ever since they let me go, you know, and I will continue doing this until they pry my pen from my cold dead fingers someday. Because yeah, there really is no going back. You just no. have to keep going forward until we actually win. And I do feel like the light is at the end of the tunnel. I do see so many signs of people opening their minds. I mean, what we stand for is so simple and reasonable when you just cut through all the clutter and programming and uh, triggers that have been built into people's minds. The way I put it when I was in Sweden last uh, for a couple of events for the launch of the Swedish translation of the White Nationalist Manifesto, the way I put it is this. What we stand for is the following policy. Next year in Sweden, we want the Swedish percentage of the Swedish population to be, to be larger yeah. rather than smaller. Every other party, the whole establishment is committed to the idea that there will be fewer Swedes mm -hmm. in Sweden next year and the year after yeah. and the year after until it all blurs out. And that is an, that's a totally insane position to have. Mm -hmm. Every government in, 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 the, in the West and 
with the certain exceptions like Poland and Hungary, but practically every white country has an establishment committed to the idea that their countries would be better off with fewer of their own people in yeah. it. Tell them they should it's celebrate insanity. it, in fact. Yeah. yeah, we should celebrate our decline. Uh, and when you put it that way, though, most people say, why? And why not have more Swedes in Sweden next year? Why not? And when you get people responding to your proposals with a why not, that's called an easy sell. Mm. What yeah. we stand for is an easy sell. It's easy to sell mm. people on this. And of course, you know, we think long term, but politics is all about short term things because most people think short term. And it's because most people think short term that they get in long term problems, right? They get on the wrong path. This is how debts happen. This is how demographic demographic crises happen mm. and so forth. So you have to put it in the short term and to put it in the short term as the proposal, we want there to be more Swedes in Sweden, more Norwegians in Norway, et cetera, next year. Uh, that is not a, a hard sell for most people. And it's coming from and a place you, of love, of course. Yeah, you know? yeah, exactly. Everybody deserves a homeland and everybody deserves to die in a society that resembles the society in which they were born. Yeah. Why, why is that uh, controversial? It, it, it isn't controversial. Uh, it's only treated as problematic because, well, we have mischievous people controlling the media megaphones in our societies. But if you just ask people that, it's not such a hard sell. I would love the groipers out there, the, uh, the people who are bedeviling Charlie Kirk and these other cucks uh, on their tour to say, uh, Congressman Crenshaw, I am alarmed, I am uncomfortable that there are going to be fewer white people, fewer Americans in Texas next year than there are this year. What are you going to do to stop that? Mm -hmm. And just watch these robots uh, spew their stupid talking It's ideas, points. not people that matter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it, 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 it's profoundly... Uh, educational for people to see that their politicians will not say that they want to create a future for the core populations of, of their homelands. They don't want to, they don't want to do that. They will not be caught dead uh, saying that they want to secure a future for Swedes in Sweden. They won't be caught dead doing that. And once people see that, well, then they start divesting in the political establishment, they realize that it is a strange cartel of people that have, are steering their countries onto the rocks. Right. And then populist change becomes possible. And that's what we stand for. We want uh, po national populism in all of our homelands so that you know future generations uh, will have homelands, basically. There will be future generations to inherit these lands and, and continue their you know, their cultures and their traditions forward. Now, Greg, how can people help you out, help support you? Well, it's super hard right yeah. now because we have been deplatformed from four credit card processors this year. Uh, we have just had applications for two more of them declined. And it turns out that we have been placed on something called the match list. Now, the match list is a list of 
high risk sites, high risk in, in terms of chargebacks and fraud that oh, is circulated lies. around. Yeah, that is circulated in the credit card processing industry. Uh, we, to my knowledge, I've been doing this for more than nine years. I don't recall any chargebacks or fraudulent things in nine years. Uh, and yet we have been put on this list. It is a lie. Uh, and this is being used now to deny a service. Uh, so we are going to get to the bottom of this. I was contacted today by a supporter who said her Coinbase account uh, is not allowed to send Bitcoin to countercurrents. Now, this is uh, no surprise. Coinbase uh, is a left-wing. They banned um, us. So yeah, yeah even they, me personally. Yeah. 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 And so uh, this, the, you know, the noose is tightening. So the only way that we can actually take donations from people is, or sell, sell them books, is if people do cryptocurrency transfers or money transfers, or uh, send checks and money orders to our P.O. box in San Francisco. Uh, it has gotten that bad. Uh, and uh, they're really trying to cut us off. Also, Amazon, at the end of February, uh, banned our 17 best-selling titles. Uh, that cut our traffic, or our, our sales, enormously, because Amazon is 71% of the global book market. Mm. Then, uh, a few days ago, Amazon completely deleted all of our Kindle books. The entire account was deleted and closed down. So, they are coming for me yeah. Yeah. and for countercurrents. Uh, you know, uh, they want to shut they, you down. They want to make it impossible they for you to shut us down. Yeah. They want to shut us down and make it impossible for us to continue. And at this point we really have to face the fact that we are not going to be able to support ourselves as we have before, namely in a populist sort of manner by selling books to lots of people and also getting donations, small donations from lots of supporters. That I think is over. We need to start cultivating larger donors, patrons who can give 10 or $20,000 a year to keep this thing going. Uh, Countercurrents has four people full time uh, to, to do all the work that we do. And we need donors. Uh, we're, we're not, you know, we're not lighting cigars with $100 bills around here. Uh, we have an extremely lean operation. Uh, basically, it's, it's a group of revolutionary ascetics who are doing this. And uh, we uh, need the patronage of the kind of people who want to, to help us uh, go forward. So that is developing. We're we're actually developing that new model. And that, I think, is going to see us into the future. But unfortunately, there's going to be some belt tightening yeah. uh, for the near future simply because, you know, they've cut off most of the money that comes in. They're, they're trying to starve us out. Also, uh, there is an element of just economic warfare against me as an individual. Mm -hmm. You know, they have gone from censoring particular titles to deleting entire book catalogs to now telling me that I cannot open new accounts, that I, Greg Johnson, cannot open a new Kindle publishing account ever, right? So this is really economic warfare directed against me. And so, you know, when I got arrested, all of this was in the back of my mind. It's like, damn it, the noose is tightening. They are coming for me. 
right? They're finally taking me <laughs> into the system. Uh, this could be it. And I was so delighted, uh, just elated on Monday morning of this week when I found out that, wow, I asked for a lawyer and a miracle happened. Yeah, you need uh, so, That's good. The gods yeah, are looking exactly. out for you there. Yeah, uh, it, it's kind of a win. I beat deportation, basically. I am not banned from the Schengen zone. I'm not even banned from Norway. I could go back to Norway if I wanted to, but mm -hmm. I kind of want to steer clear. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I have nothing but warm feelings for my Norwegian friends and for the Norwegian people more generally. I think that the people who I dealt with all acted very professionally, professionally and honorably. Uh, unfortunately, it's a country ruled by a hostile elite. And it's a country that has its policies basically dictated by people who are up to no good. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and that has to change. Uh, the Norwegians have to take control of their own future. Uh, I support them in that, uh, but I also support their sovereignty as a nation. Uh, I am not <laughs> going to barge in where I am not wanted again. Uh, I'm going to let them sort these things out for themselves. And frankly, I have a bigger audience in Norway now than I would have if I had just been allowed to speak to 95 or 100 people yeah. on uh, last Saturday. So I don't have to go there to address the Norwegian people and encourage them in their self-determination. I don't have to go back. I could do it from the safety of my own First Amendment. Uh, <laughs> and, and that's a good feeling. Yeah. I have this page up right here uh, that a listener had sent a while ago and said that they've had a lot of good luck with it and wanted me to spread it around the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. So if you are being picked on by these different credit card processors and they're lying here about your chargebacks and fraud, there are some methods. And I know it just seems like, yay, file a complaint, but I, I guess a lot of people have had success with this. So I'm just going to put that out there. Thank you. We'll yeah. take, we'll we'll definitely do that. I'm going to put that on the desk of one of my people tomorrow morning. In <laughs> fact, so yeah, yeah, that's that's a really good tip. Thank you for that, Greg. Thank you so much. It's always a pleasure. I'm sorry you're going through everything you're going through, but obviously it's because you're effective. That's why they're doing it. So that's how ultimately I feel. take it as a compliment, and hopefully it's inspiring for you to continue. I've always said we're going to do what we need to. If we need to go back to living in a studio apartment, if we have to do what we're going to do, we're not going to quit. And it's because of our supporters, people that support countercurrents and red ice, that we can continue. And as long as people can send us mail, as long as you can send snail mail even and, and cash, you know, they can't they cannot shut us down. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's worth it. Uh, somebody has to do this. I, I enjoy doing this. Uh, this is a meaningful life. Uh, I, I have traveled in interesting places. I've met fascinating people. I've even been to jail. Uh, and I, I'm looking forward to writing my memoirs someday. I've had a really, really good and fascinating life doing something super meaningful. And uh, I, th I think that's why I'm being persecuted, because I'm doing something that's meaningful and effective. And I'm just going to keep doing it until we win. We're going to have the last laugh, period, the end. And Definitely. I know that you have a good sense of humor. It's one thing I really appreciate. You know, I was sending out, I was firing out some tweets when you're arrested and all this defamatory stuff. I was like, these 
idiots have no idea how cultured and funny and smart you are. You have a lot to offer. And I think that if they just met you on the street, a lot of these leftists and had a conversation with you, they would think that you're the most delightful person ever, right? So it's Well, thank you. Uh, one of the things that crossed my mind, and I actually added this to the article that I put up uh, called Anarcho-Tyranny in Oslo, is, uh, you know, the obvious plan was to smear me by creating a fake linkage to Breivik. But it never occurred to these people that it might actually work in reverse, that by linking me to Breivik, it might actually not decrease my credibility, but increase Breivik's. Because, you know, I've got a PhD, I've written 11 books and hundreds of articles, I run a very successful web scene, I've published 60 books now uh, uh, through counterprints and other publishing imprints. I've cultivated this big network of writers and donors and friends around the world. I have some cred. And if these guys are going to say that I, Greg Johnson, have endorsed Anders Breivik, that might actually, in the minds of some people who don't look too far into it, increase Breivik's credibility. And increasing Breivik's credibility actually increases the chances that people will imitate him. So if my writings have any negative impact in the area of terrorism, increase the likelihood of terrorism, it'll only be because of these lying opportunist scoundrels uh, in, uh, in Norway. And that should have crossed their minds, but I don't think it did. And if it did, they don't care because the left, the establishment, the censors, the repressors, they feed off right-wing violence. It is what gives them the ability to whip up moral yeah. hysterias, to, to deplatform us and imprison us and persecute us. Mm -hmm. They feed on this violence. So why would they care if they're, if they're actually inciting it? It actually helps them. So yeah, I, I, I think these people are, are terrible scoundrels. And really, honestly, also simply engaging in state repression is the kind uh, and, and suppressing freedom of speech is the kind of thing that increases the likelihood of terrorism. Mm -hmm. In fact, Breivik said in his uh, in his defense at his trial that the reason why he took the path of terrorism was because he felt that there was no way in Norway to have an open public debate about multiculturalism and immigration. And therefore, uh, if, if peaceful revolution is impossible, violent revolution becomes necessary. He was practically quoting in, in his trial, John F. Kennedy, who mm -hmm. made that statement. Yeah. So yeah, these people increase the likelihood of violence. And if they believe that I am a persuasive writer, and obviously they would have to say that I'm persuasive if I'm dangerous, right? If I am dangerous, I must be persuasive. Well, if you actually look at what I try to persuade people of in the, on the question of terrorism, there's a long list of articles where I hammer away every time one of these stupid shooters goes off about why this is a terrible thing. And by curtailing my ability to speak, they are curtailing my ability to persuade people that terrorism is a bad thing. Mm -hmm. That increases the likelihood of terrorism. And that's what they want, ultimately. They, yeah. they like that. Yeah, they feed off that. These people are parasites on human misery, and I really want to impeach their credibility. I want to drag them into the light of day. Uh, I want them to lose their power and influence. That would be a good thing.
And here's pictures here of a few of the guys who were writing about you. So people can take a look here. Jones, these are our enemies. Harold the, and Thomas. These, these are guys. people who live by lies. They look these like the it. People. You really have that look, too. <laughs> yeah, they, <laughs> they really do. They, the, you know, sort of weak, passive people who <sighs> live by lies and gain power by lies, gain power by gaslighting people. Uh, unfortunately, we're ruled by people like this. Bureaucracies are filled with people like this. All right, Greg. Well, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank and, uh, you. Hopefully you're getting some rest and some good food and good coffee and <laughs> writing oh, out yeah. all your thoughts. Good food, good coffee, pen and paper, uh, the internet, all these yeah. things, you take them for granted. I'm happy. And, and let me tell you, I was not depressed and I am not depressed uh, about this whole thing. I, I managed to maintain good spirits through the whole thing, uh, you know, and when I was feeling physically horrible, right, I just said, you know, this, this is worth it. What I'm doing is meaningful. Yeah. And there are lots of people who have suffered far, far worse for the truth than I was. Yeah. And so I had to keep that into perspective. Exactly. All right, Greg, well, we'll have you back in the near future. Thank you so much. Thank you. Banning, censorship, discrimination, jail time. There's no doubt about it. The worst discrimination and racism of our modern day is against European nationalists. But nonetheless, this too will not last. The truth is with us. And so we will persevere. And thanks to you, we'll ride that wave until ultimately we have the last laugh. And I do like to laugh. Love you all. See you on the next one. On October 17th, YouTube deleted our channel Red Ice TV, and a week later, Red Ice Media, our backup. We had no strikes at the time on either. YouTube never sent us an email, they did not get back to us regarding our appeal, and despite thousands of people writing Team YouTube, there has been zero communication from them after we were thrown off the video publisher's website. Luckily, nothing has been lost. Everything is still available on redice.tv and redicemembers.com together with all our members' exclusive content. Make sure you get a subscription and support us. A lot of our recent videos and shows were automatically backed up on our BitChute channel. Subscribe to us there, bitchute.com forward slash redicetv. More recent shows are embedded via BitChute on redice.tv and we have always hosted our own MP3s on the website, the podcast version of the show. We have RSS feeds both for the radio show, the interviews, and a separate RSS feed for the videos posted on our website. Subscribe to both of these feeds to get the latest content, and this is a great way of getting a notification as well as soon as new shows and videos are available. We are in the process of uploading older shows to our BitChute channel now. We will go back and update shows on redice.tv that previously was linked back to our now censored YouTube channel. Subscribe to our BitChute channel, bitchute.com slash TV. We are rebuilding our subscriber base with an already large audience over there. Join the 22,000 that have already subscribed to our BitChute channel. We are also uploading all our videos to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Creations. Just search for Red Ice on Facebook. 
When we live stream, we multi-stream both to Twitter and Facebook, but more importantly, dlive.tv slash TV. Get the DLive app, follow us there, and you'll get notifications when we go live. They have Super Chats incorporated on the platform as well. Thousands have joined us on DLive already, and that's a great option for live streaming. If you want notifications for any of our content, make sure you join our Telegram group. Go to t.me forward slash TV and enable notifications. You can get the Telegram app for your phone or your computer. It's nice and secure as well. Notifications goes on Telegram every time something new is available from Red Ice or other important updates that we have. In addition, make sure that you follow us on twitter.com slash TV, gab.com slash TV, minds.com slash TV, and instagram.com slash media. Help spread the word about our videos and shows share links, post it in comments, tell friends, family, co-workers. We lost access to 333,000 subscribers on YouTube, but we'll rebuild the audience on new and better platforms that don't censor and accepts politically diverse opinions. YouTube will be outcompeted by platforms that simply can uphold US law, recognize the First Amendment, but also the United Nations Declaration of Human Rights. The Supreme Court already ruled that there is no so-called hate speech exception to the First Amendment. Publishers like YouTube, Facebook, Twitter and Google use the hate speech excuse, this uh, clause, to silence dissident political views that they don't agree with since they are biased political publishers that meddle in the election process and admittedly now has shown through leaked footage and documents that they want to sway public opinion by controlling what speech they allow or don't allow on their websites, even though they are granted special protection under the Communications Decency Act, Section 230 by the United States government. This means they should not be allowed to operate as a publisher like they do now. They should be a neutral platform, but time and time again, we have seen that they are not. All we ask is that these companies uphold United States law. Don't break the law by calling for violence, which we never did. And then these publishers should accept everything else that is protected under the First Amendment, since they are based in and were founded in the United States of America. They also receive corporate welfare, massive subsidies from the US government. This is taxpayer money, in other words considering their special protection status granted to them by the government under Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act, they should recognize free speech. And the US Supreme Court have already ruled that so-called hate speech is free speech. RedEyes.tv, RedEyesMembers.com. Visit our websites. A lot of great new updates in the work for both websites. Thank you for watching and thank you for your support.